If you haven't already, let's go ahead and do turn to Daniel chapter 9, please. Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to pray and I'm going to share with you what I'm just going to call a a New Testament anchor passage after I pray. You won't need to turn there. It'll be in Matthew 24. But first of all, let's pray and let's also take a moment of silent prayer as well. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Again, as we say, according to Isaiah 66, may we now, in these moments, may we tremble at your word. We pray, we we want to pray with the fervency of, with which Daniel prayed, O Lord, act. O Lord, speak. Help us now. Open your word to us. We are weak, but you are strong. May we see your beauty through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we behold the King in his beauty, as the scripture says. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I said I'm going to give you this anchor passage in the New Testament. It's from Matthew 24. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Did you notice that? Did you hear that? The abomination spoken by the prophet Daniel. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Let me read something else to you. This will not be on the screen. I wonder if you ever heard these words. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets 
and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What a beautiful passage. If you didn't know what I just read there, those three verses are from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear what he said? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones. How often I would have gathered you together. How often I, I would have gathered you together and yet you were unwilling. Daniel chapter 9 this morning. Daniel chapter 9, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at the, the title was one of the great prayers of the Bible, part one. Today is Daniel chapter 9, part two. Imagine yourself as a parent, which of course will not be hard for so many of you. Imagine yourself as a parent watching your child playing in a group with other children. Perhaps you are observing your child in a nursery or in a classroom or on the playground or in a soccer game. You might accurately say that you have love for all the children in the group. You're watching a group of children. Your child or your children is included in that group. That's why you're watching it in the first place. You might say that you have love for all the children in that group. You have no ill will toward any of them. You generally wish them well. This is from David Pallison. He says this, But when it comes to your own child, something more goes on. You take much more notice of your own child. Injury, danger, bullying, or injustice arouses strong feelings of protection because you love your child. If your child throws a tantrum or mistreats another child, you are again aroused to intervene because you love your child. If your child thrives, you are filled with joy. And he points out that any of these reactions, when you're watching your child or your children in a group, any of these reactions could be provoked in us as parents because of our sin and because of our, our pride. But he says, imagine such reactions untainted by sin. Imagine such reactions untainted by sin. Hosea 11 and 14. Psalm 129. The Lord watches you. The Lord cares. He's transitioning here. He's transitioning from us watching our children with an eagle eye. He's transitioning to God watching his children. What his children do and what happens to them matters to him. His watching, caring, and concern are intense, complex, specific, personal. God's love is better than what we call unconditional love. We have our ideas of love. We have what we think is the height of love, which is unconditional love. That's, that's the best. His whole point is to say God's love is better than unconditional love. You, here's what I want to say. You are greatly loved. 
my brother and sister in Christ. Listen to me, my brother and sister in Christ, you are greatly loved. We read of Matthew 24 at the beginning. Now, why did I read that? We know, or maybe we should know by now, that the book of Revelation and the, and the second half of the book of Daniel is about this type of literature that we call apocalyptic. Matthew 24 is the same thing. Matthew 24 is the same thing. And in Matthew 24, it's been pointed out, it's been pointed out that in Matthew 24, that before Jesus is about to go to die on the cross, before his crucifixion, He's telling his disciples three things. It must be important, right? If he's telling them, if he's teaching them about three things before he goes to the cross, that must be important. And what are those three things? He teaches them about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the coming of the Son of Man. That's what he's doing right before he dies. He's talking to them about the coming of the Son of Man, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the destruction of the temple. And these three things also relate to Daniel chapter 9. These three things that were on the, the mind of Jesus, that were on the lips of Jesus, we also see these three things in Daniel chapter 9. The coming of the Son of Man, the destruction of the temple, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Let's look into this passage Daniel chapter 9. The first thing that I want you to see is this, and I've already said it. You are greatly loved. Did you know that according to Romans chapter 8, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing, no nothing that could ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a Christian, you are greatly loved. I am not saying that if you're not a Christian, that you're not loved. I'm saying that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are loved with, an, with a special, dying, sacrificial, eternal, electing, incredible love. A love that will never end. Friends, this is the first point this morning, Daniel chapter 9. You are greatly loved. Look at verse 23. I want you to see this from the text. You know, you know, of course, we're not saying this as modern self-esteem proponents. Daniel 9.23, uh, Gabriel, Gabriel says, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Did you see it right there? I just want you to see it comes right out of the text. I have come to tell it to you, the middle of verse 23, for you are greatly loved. Flip over for just a moment to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you. Look at verse 12 of chapter 10. Fear not, Daniel. 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. You are greatly loved. Not saying anything too complex here, just pointing out the fact that in this passage today, Daniel, it says, it says of him that he was greatly loved. Now it matters. It's important that the text tells us that Daniel was greatly loved. What matters most, of course, because I believe, I believe that Daniel was a type of Christ. What matters most is that we see in Scripture plainly that the Lord Jesus is and was greatly loved. So what am I saying? Daniel was loved. No, not Daniel was loved. Daniel was greatly loved. Jesus was loved. No, not loved. Jesus was greatly loved. You know the scripture, right? This is my beloved son. This is my son whom I love. And that is why, that's why I can say to you this morning, my brother and sister in Christ, never, ever, ever forget it. Through Jesus Christ, you are greatly loved. Because what is supreme is that Jesus is greatly loved. Now look at the context here of Daniel 9, verse 23. Begin at verse 20. We're we're jumping in here, obviously. We're jumping in for just a moment. Daniel 9, 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, we were introduced to Gabriel in chapter 8. You know the angel Gabriel, right? Whom I had seen in the vision at the first, that's chapter 8, Alexander the Great, even though it doesn't mention him came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. I wanted to read verses 20 through 23 because I want you to see the context. I want you to see why it's a big deal that the angel Gabriel said to Daniel, listen to me, after Daniel had been pouring his heart out in prayer, he gives this autobiographical thing here in verse 20. And he says, I was, I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin. And then, and then an angel came to me and he said, and what did he say to him? He said, Daniel, he said, as soon as you started praying, Listen, Daniel, as soon as you started praying, this is why this matters so much, because Daniel has been in anguish. We're going to see it in just a minute, okay? We're jumping in for a minute. But Daniel has been in anguish. He's been pleading with the Lord. He's been crying out to the Lord on behalf of his people. And just the same way with us, even as we prayed in our time this morning, knowing some of you, knowing that some of you are praying for grandchildren and children, And some of you have been praying about certain things for a long time. And you wonder, is it hitting the ceiling? And are the prayers ever effectual? Does prayer ever matter? 
And the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and he says, as soon as you started to pray, Daniel, you're a man greatly loved. What is it that melts our hearts and that melts our eyes is that when we have the confirmation from God through his word, attested by the Holy Spirit, you are loved. You are heard. You see, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. Verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. And you are greatly loved. So what? So keep praying and pray with boldness. You are greatly loved. So keep praying and pray with boldness. Your father hears your prayer through Jesus Christ. And particularly when when his people, when God's people repent of their sins, he hears the prayer and he restores them. When, When people repent of their sins, God hears that prayer and he brings about restoration. You are greatly loved, so keep praying and pray with boldness. Number two. Number two, let us be God-centered. Daniel chapter 9, if, if you didn't know and don't expect you to know, we unfortunately, we neglect the Old Testament. Unfortunately, we are, uh, and I, I don't say this to beat anybody up, all of, unfortunately, we are, even in the best of churches, we are biblically illiterate. And by God's help, that needs to change. We don't need to be biblically illiterate. And we, and we neglect the Old Testament But if there's anything that Daniel chapter 9 teaches us, it teaches us to be God-centered. Crossway, let us be God-centered in our praying and in everything because God is God-centered. Let us be God-centered in our praying and in everything because God is God-centered. Look at verses, beginning at verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. For your own sake, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. For your own sake, your sanctuary. O my God, verse 18, incline your ear and hear, open open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. It's okay to pray to God and appeal to him based on what he loves most, which which is his glory, which is his son. For we do not present our pleas, verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. Go back up to verses 15 and 16, which is said to be the heart of this prayer. What what is this? What are we even looking at? This is one of the great prayers of the Bible. Who's praying the prayer? Daniel. Who's he praying for? He's praying for his people Israel. He's praying for himself. In verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, And have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill. 
because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. You see what Daniel's doing in this prayer? He's appealing to the greatness of God. He's appealing to that which God cherishes. What does God cherishes? God loves his own glory. Let us be God-centered in our praying and in everything we do because God is God-centered. This is a great example. He says, I'm praying to you. I'm asking you to do something. It's not wrong. It's definitely not wrong to ask God to do something. Pray, seek, ask, knock. It's not wrong to ask God. Daniel has a specific request in mind here. He's praying that God would bring them out of exile, that he would restore the temple, that he would restore Jerusalem. And the way he's doing that is he's saying, we are awful. We are sinful. You are great. You are holy. You are, Lord, according to your name, for your sake. The Lord hears that prayer. The Lord hears the prayer that is an appeal to himself, to his greatness. We, to use the old word, we abase ourselves down in the ground and we appeal to the greatness of God. Number one, you are greatly loved. Number two, taking our cues from this passage, let us be God-centered in everything that we do in prayer. For God is God-centered. Third, Let us pray in light of the word. Let us pray in light of the word. Turn to Jeremiah 29 for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Keep your place in Daniel 9. We all know this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We should also know, my purpose here is to actually look at verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Why are we looking at this? Because this is what Daniel was reading. This is why he was praying. Jeremiah 29.10, listen, Jeremiah 29.10 is why he was praying. Because he was reading the word. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31.31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make, what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Perhaps Daniel was reading this as well. The promise of a new covenant. Here's what's going on in Daniel chapter 9. Here's the big picture of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was reading the Bible, which led him to prayer. And after he was praying, having read the Bible, he got more revelation from God. This is really simple. I think it's really cool. It's really neat. Daniel was reading the Bible, Jeremiah, which prompted him to prayer, which led him back to the word. You see, that's, that's Daniel chapter nine. That's what's going on. You have Daniel's prayer in verses four through 19. 
4 through 19, that's Daniel's prayer. That's the book. That's what it's about. It's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Why was he praying? He was praying because he was in the Word. The Word and prayer. The Word and prayer. Prayer and the Word. Acts chapter 6. Elders are to be devoted to prayer and the Word. Christians, all Christians are to be devoted to the Word and prayer. It's really very simple. Daniel was in the Bible. It prompted him to prayer. And then this is where we're different than Daniel, right? Then Daniel receives, we could say, special revelation. We don't pray in the expectation that God's going to speak to us somehow outside of his word. We don't go to our prayer closets and say, God's given me a special word. No, Daniel prayed. He read the word. He prayed. He was given more word. So let us pray in light of the word and let us read the word in light of prayer. It's really simple, right? Jump in with us. Jump in if you're not already memorizing Psalm 103. You're not a a failure as a Christian if you're not doing a one-year Bible reading plan, but read the Word. The problem with with the people, the reason Daniel's confessing the sin, his sin and the people's sin, the reason that he's confessing sin is because they've neglected the Word. They've disobeyed the Word. They disobeyed the law of God. And our problem is we don't even know the Word. We don't even know what it is to disobey. If we don't know the Word, how can we obey it? They had some knowledge of the word, but they were in disobedience to the word. And Daniel prays, God, for your sake, for your sake, because of your name, have mercy on us. We don't deserve it. We deserve your judgment, but for your sake. And we would say, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, for we do not deserve it. Stay with me. I have one more. You are greatly loved. Let us be God-centered in our praying and in everything. Let us pray in light of the word. Like Daniel, and then prayer will take us back to the word. Prayer is hemmed in by the word. Prayer is hemmed in by the word. The fourth thing, the last thing is this. You are greatly loved. See the cross. You are greatly loved. See the cross. If you know anything about Daniel 9, you might know that it's got one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. Not because it deals with so-called gay marriage or some other hot-button topic, but because it's got a section there at the end that's simply hard to interpret. It's simply hard to understand. What is it talking about? Before we look at it briefly in just a second, We're doing this series called Apocalyptic, Daniel and Revelation, and then you add in Matthew 24. This series is the reason that a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, we were looking at 2 Thessalonians 2. And we said when we were looking at 2 Thessalonians 2 that many people consider that to be the the most difficult passage in all the things that Paul wrote. Paul wrote 13 letters. Paul wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. And in all the things that Paul wrote, This is considered to be the hardest, 2 Thessalonians 2, and I love what our lead deacon said that night, what Larry said on that Wednesday night. Why Why is everybody getting so up in arms? These are not your exact words, brother. But why is it so difficult? Yeah, there's tough things in 2 Thessalonians 2. You can look at it later. Don't look at it now. Yeah, there's interpretive challenges, but, but the main thing is clear. Alistair Begg says this. He says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Think about that. You gotta, the main things are the plain things, 
and the plain things are the main things. Just like 2 Thessalonians 2 and Paul, that's the hardest passage in all of Paul. This is a difficult passage, and it is. It's hard to understand, but the main things are the plain things. Verse 24, remember our heading. You are greatly loved. See the cross. I don't feel loved by God. I feel abandoned by God. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Seventy weeks, Daniel 9, 24, are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit. Pay attention, we're reading one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible. And to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore, Daniel... Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood And to the end, there shall be war. That makes us think of today, right? To the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Verse 27, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Remember what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24? In the what's called the little apocalypse, Matthew 24, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man. He's called, talking about the destruction of the temple, and he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And in many ways, so here, what is this about? What are these four verses? So, so much ink spilled by Bible scholars. What is it saying? Here's basically what it's saying. Without trying to act like I know how to perfectly explain it, here's basically what it's saying. Daniel's praying. Verses 1 through 19, that's the bulk of the chapter. He's on his knees. Oh God, we are wicked. We deserve nothing but your judgment. You are great for your name's sake. He has a specific request. Oh Lord, I've just been reading in the Bible and Jeremiah says 70 years and you'll bring judgment against the people who brought us into exile and you'll bring us back to home. So I was just reading Lord in the Bible and it says 70 years and now 70 years is over. And because And Daniel's saying, he's saying, because I believe in your sovereignty, but I also believe in human responsibility, I'm not just going to sit around and wait for your promise to come true. I'm going to pray. The promises and the sovereignty of God do not undercut prayer. They're the foundation of prayer. The sovereignty of God is the foundation of prayer. And so he prays, oh God, bring us back. Please forgive us. Heal our land. And Gabriel comes and he says, I've got an answer for you. He says, you are greatly loved. He says, by the way, Daniel, the minute you started praying, a word went out. As soon as you started praying, a word went out. You were greatly loved. And let me tell you, Daniel, yes, it's true. Seventy years are completed. You will return from Babylon to your homeland. But let me also tell you, there's bad news and there's good news. It's going to be 70 times seven to bring, listen, to bring complete and full salvation to totally bring about the cleansing of your people from their sin, to bring about a deep cleansing that your people need from sin. Not a superficial, not not a superficial cleansing, but we need a deep cleansing from our sin. To bring that about, there will be more time. 
It will take much longer, Daniel. There will be trouble. There will be persecution. And there will be a great salvation. There will be a new covenant, Jeremiah 31. But this new covenant, Daniel's Daniel's thinking everything's going to be great now because I was just reading in the Bible that we're done. We're done. And the angel says, yes and no. Yes and no. 70 weeks, literally 77s. Remember when Peter said, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? You remember that story? Seven times, Lord? No, not seven. Seventy times seven. What's that? 490. Listen, nobody, nobody thinks that Peter forgive, should forgive his brother 490 times, and then he doesn't have to worry about it on the 491st time. Part of his main point is here. It's going to be a while. But we see the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 24. Seventy weeks, seventy sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Notice, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity. How does that happen? How does that happen? To atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. After 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ was cut off for the sins of his people. Easter's coming soon, friends. Easter's coming soon. Never forget the road to Emmaus. I wonder, I do not know, I wonder if on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus had been raised from the dead and he's walking with those disciples, And he's opening their eyes to see from the Bible, from what we call the Old Testament, that it's actually ultimately all about him. I wonder if this was one of those passages. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We may not know every single thing that it means. But we know that the main things are the plain things and the plain are the main. And in verses 24 and 26, we see a prophecy, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that things will get bad, but that there is a new covenant coming, everlasting righteousness. You are loved. How do I know I'm loved? Look to the cross. Look to the cross and repent of your sins, calling upon his name. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that among so many things, your word is clear. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture. Thank you that the prophets like Daniel searched intently about the things that they were given so that they might know what times and what seasons it spoke of the Christ who was to come. Thank you, Lord, that We look to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also look to the victory that has been won. That times are difficult, but the victory of God has been achieved on the cross of Christ. So may we celebrate even now, even as you have spread this table before us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.